Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a strategy and fundraising consultant, a speaker, and an author. Yes, check out my book, also titled Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. If you'd like to find a copy or you want to check out any of our programs or resources, go to PattonMcDowell.com. Now, thanks as always for listening to the podcast, and I know you're going to enjoy a fantastic conversation I had in this episode with Karen Eber Davis. Now, Karen joins me for the second time as back on episode number 77, she and I discussed the recruitment and engagement of nonprofit board members. Great episode to check out again. But this time, we're going to move even closer to your nonprofit leadership journey, especially if you're contemplating the CEO role. Now, if you're already in the CEO role, you're still going to find a lot of value in this conversation because Karen has done some fantastic research around the experience of new nonprofit CEOs. But what applies from her research is not just for the new experience, but also sustaining it. And that's why I think you're going to find value in all of this conversation because Karen gets into what she calls her readiness characteristics. What are those elements that make for a successful start to a nonprofit leadership role and what you can do to strengthen your leadership skills as you prepare for such an opportunity? Don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 162. Just go to our brand new podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll find all of the resources Karen and I discuss in the show notes, as well as more information on Karen and the great work she's doing through her consulting practice called Karen Eber Davis Consulting. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Karen Eber Davis. Karen, thank you for joining me again on the path. Delighted, Patton. Well, Karen, I'm excited about this conversation. We had a wonderful episode, and I want to encourage our listeners to go back. It was episode number 77, where you talked about your experience and great advice on board leadership and how nonprofit CEOs can better maximize those volunteers. So today, it seems only fitting that we talk about the CEOs themselves. In particular, some fascinating research you've done over new CEOs and what you learned from that. So let's jump right in. Is there a headline, perhaps, that you would share with our listeners that one thing in particular that uh, involves new nonprofit CEOs? Absolutely. And that is to enhance their decision-making skills. Of all the courses and activities I've ever attended in the nonprofit sector, I've never been to a class or a session on improving decision-making, yet new CEOs say that's all they do. They go to bed at night and they realize, all I did all day was make decisions. And um, how do you do this on two levels? Your own, do you evaluate at the end of the week how your decisions worked? Do you think about what you're really deciding? Do you think about how long you'll take to decide it? Do you also think about how you can help others make decisions better? So you're not making every single decision in your nonprofit. That's, that's a fantastic and I think insightful question or topic because you're right. I think there's so much uh, out there, as you said, as we go into workshops and other kind of uh, content opportunities, 
we don't talk about the actual decision making of leadership or that's necessary in leadership. And so your survey literally lifted that up almost to the top of the list. Is that what you're saying, Karen? I really heard people say that that's what they really felt they did all day, every day. And that if you're doing something that often, you want to be good at it. And there's so there's some fine studies about thinking about how to do that well. There's research out there. In fact, 80% of your leadership is about how it's, it's not a cause, it's a correlation. 80% of good leaders make good decisions. That is fascinating. And we're going to unpack it for sure, because I know our listeners are thinking, wow, you know, maybe it's evident to some of them, but I would suggest many of us in the leadership space haven't thought about the kind of the meta analysis of decision making, uh, which is critical to not only current success, but obviously those that want to move into leadership. And I know you're going to give us advice and suggestions as to how we can get better at just that. But let's pause for a minute, Karen, for those listeners who didn't get to hear from you in that past episode number 77. Talk about your career. You've had fantastic experience. What led you to this current round of research? Several things. My early background, I was really blessed early on in my career with some positions in nonprofit organizations that were formative. One was involved a huge amount of facilitating activities in groups. Another one was involved with visiting many different nonprofits. And so that collection of seeing a lot of nonprofits in action, things that were common across the nonprofits, things where the leaders struggled, great solutions that could be applied other places. It gives me this huge reservoir of different nonprofit experiences that I use my work partnering with nonprofit CEOs to make their leadership more impactful, authentic, and rewarding, especially solving those board challenges, money challenges, and then recently staff challenges. Uh, And of course, you and I both work on the East Coast of the United States, but you've worked with nonprofit leaders around the country and around the world. Are, Are there certain types of nonprofit organizations with which you work primarily, or have you found you work in all different sectors and size and scope and so forth? Um, it ends up being in all different sectors. My sweet spot is somewhere between uh, budgets of one to 20 million, uh, because at that point, they often have staff and they have ongoing consistency, but they have some challenges that they want to solve with their boards. They, they want, they're, 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 it's working, but they need more money to do their vision. The, the staff team maybe needs some polishing. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And clearly there's a need, as you and I both know, there's such impressive work going on in our sector. But the need for this polishing, as you describe, and certainly for leadership, which you and I both are big advocates for. Um, talk about, I guess, the difference between this round of research, what specifically led to it? Obviously, you had worked through another book and the publication of your fundraising, Raising Millions Together. But how did this differ or what inspired? this round of research? This research began early this year. I was looking and seeing how many people who I've worked with who are in CEO positions and that have taken a new position still in the sector, but out of the CEO position because of the stress of the position. I was also seeing a lot of people who were looking for CEOs, the huge turnover that we're facing now in this post, hopefully post-COVID climate. And I saw this need for if I can get people to figure out how to get a job they really like 
and do really well, then they're going to be successful. And so capturing people early, what they experienced, what worked in terms of the interview process, and then what they would do immediately and what, what they would repeat. Some of that, you have that experience when you first start, you come in to new place and you lose that newcomer vision. I wanted to capture them before they forgot what it was like to make that transition. That's fantastic. And you're right. I do think a new set of eyes, particularly for a newly arriving leader, uh, offers glimpses of things that those that have been there even for years may not be seeing it. I guess in terms of the methodology, Karen, you know, and you have a wonderful network. So I'm guessing you naturally had an audience from which you could uh, do this research or how else did you find these new nonprofit CEOs? Uh, my, my network was super helpful, as well as saying to people who I did find a new CEO, who do you know who's also been doing this recently? Um, I found that was a terrific way to find people because they understood what I was trying to do. And when you're a new CEO, you have so much coming at you. It takes some time to say, okay, I'll spend 15, 20 minutes talking to someone about what I've experienced. They, they really love doing it, but having them put that in their calendar, I found to be a big challenge. So that was my challenge. Um, and it was really helpful when people said, oh, if you talk to Karen, you will enjoy this conversation. They warmed up that conversation for sure, right? When you yeah. were able to get them to do that. And, and, and usually what, too, they, 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 we got value out of it because they hadn't stopped to do some of this analysis. Well, and we, we can talk about this later as well, but I'm sure they appreciate it. I'm guessing many of these new CEOs probably are asking you questions about what you found. And so mm-hmm. um, that allows them to get kind of the two-way benefit, right, of working with you on this discussion. Right, right. Because I could say during, especially as we went on, I could say, hey, I've heard this a lot. Tell me more about that, What it, how it's in your situation. And even that affirmation that you're not alone is so important to many CEOs. Well, let's dive in because I know there's a multitude of takeaways from your research, but maybe you and I can talk about two or three of them um, in terms of key takeaways. In particular, and I think you use the phrase kind of the readiness characteristics. So I'm a new CEO and I'm sharing with you, Karen, what I learned or the takeaways you took from this conversation. Start with one of these key takeaways that would affect the readiness for a new nonprofit CEO. The first one I would mention is setting yourself your pace for a marathon rather than a sprint. You've been through or go, will go through a great interview process. I've really found a lot that people really respected the processes. I think we're doing better as a sector in that, which is good news. Um, and they've, they've been through a huge vetting process. They've gone through several interviews and they see what needs to be done. They're excited to do it. They have their own list of what needs to be done and they can't wait to get going. And they jump all the way in and they realize, oops, this is, this is too much. Um, and so they've set their pace for a sprint instead of thinking about what their leadership will be like over two or three years, for instance. So one CEO told me she's vowed to change which, her, her ways when she said she had to go back to her board twice in the first 90 days to say, oops, what I said about that deadline won't be happening. Got it. In, in essence, biting off more than she could chew, perhaps. And, and not only for herself, but also for her staff. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and Karen, I'm guilty of this because I love Michael Watkins' book, speaking of the first 90 days and the clarity I think new leaders want to bring to that opening kind of quarter of their work. But I guess your point is just don't be too ambitious, right? I mean, you still need to be organized for that early three-month start, 
but you're saying you found a lot of them tried to do too much too soon. Right. And, and you want to under promise um, in that and over deliver uh, much better to spend more time with those key donors than to say, Oh, I got you off my list. I'm going to the next one. Right. Right. Uh, and, and to build those relationships that some things cannot be hurried and we, you want to be there long enough to, 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 to build your castle. Um, and in some ways you have to start with a spoon instead of even a shovel or a forklift. <laughs> I love that, uh, that illustration. But so do you think that much of this kind of uh, sprinting at the start is self-imposed or in some cases did new nonprofit CEOs feel a pressure from the hiring committee or their board or others to, Hey, you got to jump in and get stuff moving. Oh, I think they also run into the third, which is like things are kind of needy. They yes. have been all vacant or even if there's an interim CEO, there's like, we'll wait till the new CEO gets there. <laughs> so there's it's such it's a situational. Up. So I think right. all three are a place. You want to make a good impression. You want early, easy wins. So it's tempting. Um, your board's like anxious, probably that they've made the good hire. So they're like pushing you to get these things done. And then the setting, most, most nonprofits are in the midst of running very fast. And, and so one example is a, the CEO said she came in and there was a whole bunch of grant issues that had to get done. And right. so her agenda kind of had to go to the back burner or at least side burner. Well, she had to put out fires, didn't she? You right. Know, right. In terms of grants or responding to funders. And you said it earlier, Karen, so many organizations are dealing with turnover at multiple levels. So you might arrive with your agenda, but you're having to first fill spots, right? Just to get the organization back to kind of level ground. I heard a lot of slow and steady wins the race. Um, you know, don't bite more than you can chew. Um, I think there's a, a, a many of the new CEOs in the first 90 days were, were pretty exhausted yeah, and, and, and having that realization that I could have helped myself be a little bit better by not, you know, moving so many quickly on so many things. That's such good advice. And again, you're, you're right, particularly a new CEO wants to demonstrate early wins. In fact, Watkins book talks about that, but it seems to me you're also advising that maybe put some of these things show the board that, yeah, over the next two or three years, we're going to accomplish everything, so to speak. But it's just that trying to pile too much into the first 90 days is where we get in trouble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I think for sure you have to pick, pick, your, pick your battles right. and find the key things that you see are the levers. The other piece is people talked about the need to listen more before making these movements and that you need to figure out what's really going on. There's nothing like solving the wrong problem to waste time and go backward. That's such you wanna, good You want to be pretty sure you've dug in enough to understand. Well, and, and that's such good advice, Karen, because I think you're likely going to deal with perhaps some resistance. You're the new person, the existing staff, volunteers, and board members may be a little wary of exactly what you're going to do. Some are going to be more encouraging, of course, but I wonder if that first 90 days, it sounds like, should include a, an active listening tour to yes. demonstrate that, yes, mm -hmm. I have ideas, but I'm here to listen first. 
And here's a brilliant way to do an active listening tour that, that one of the CEOs shared with me. This is why I love talking to people because right, you learn right. so many things you never thought of yourself, is he actively sought out people who no longer cared for their organization, um, former donors, former board members, former staff members. What can you tell me that I might not see? Not everybody likes us. And I think that's a really grown up approach to being a CEO and being open that those people who don't care for you maybe may not, never care for you, but they might have a lesson for you. That's such good, uh, a good idea and a good approach because you're right. Otherwise, if you react to those that want to talk to you, they're probably going to tell you what, you what you want to hear, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to give you the positive feedback and you may in fact have blind spots as an organization that you need to hear even more. Another um, piece is sometimes there's, you need to be listening because there's feelings and emotions that have not been expressed. Um, one CEO came in as an interim CEO, came in after a number of short-term CEOs, and the staff were totally untrusting, and they need to need to be, be heard. And just let's talk about what really happened and how where we're going. And to be comfortable in that space. That's probably a Brene Brown kind of a mindset. Right. Um, years ago, there was a book that was shared with me called Running Through the Thistles. And it was the idea about in parish ministry that um, the people who come to you and say, oh, I love you. I'm so glad you're here are the ones that are going to be so disappointed so fast. And the ones who say, I'm watching you, I'm checking you out, could be your best supporters. That's but to great. allow time for all that to happen. Because no, you win them over. But uh, it, it would seem many of these folks have been burned, right? Or they've seen too much turnover. And so they're not immediately going to accept you because, frankly, they've gotten their hopes up before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that one, Karen, as an overall theme. It has many implications that kind of it is not a sprint. It is indeed a marathon. Are you setting up your leadership for the marathon? Uh, and, and not burning yourself out with the sprint. Uh, all right, let's talk about the next one. What is the next kind of key takeaway you would share with our listeners? To schedule thinking time. Okay, um, good. You've got, you've got this marathon going on, but you still need to pull yourself out. And the whole idea, people said to me, um, first time CEOs often get too versed in the details. Being a leader involves less doing and more being. Um, you miss things when you get into the details, yep. the ability to, if you're coming up to the organization to say, I'm no longer the specialist at in fundraising. I am now in the whole organization and I want to think about the whole thing and not in your old silo. So moving from that practical, tactical, putting out fires to what's really happening. Yeah, that rings loud and clear to me, Karen, in terms of, I, of course, I think current uh, executive directors and CEOs, not just new ones, um, have a tendency to dive into the weeds. Um, how did you find some new CEOs found ways to avoid that? I guess, first and foremost, you just got to be intentional, right? And not maybe accepting every meeting invitation. Or what are some ways you found that new CEOs could avoid getting in the weeds? It was a real intentional. It was, I now don't come in till 9.30 on Fridays because I want to spend the first hour and a half. And someone shared with me too that they write in their calendar that that's donor time if there's a public calendar. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they intentionally say, I, I am true to my word. I think about donors, but it, 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 they, they make sure it's protected time. 
I, I had it. There was a funny story, Karen, from one of my guests um, that uh, his name is Zoot Velasco. Recently, he said he put his dog's name, you know, because that was a public calendar. And for him, of course, it was a cue to, hey, that's my quiet time. Uh, but everyone else was seeing, you know, Zoot and whatever his dog's name was. So it protected the calendar. It, it assured everyone else there was a meeting. But perhaps we don't need to hide from that. And leaders need to assert that, yes, perhaps the most valuable meeting they have each week is thinking time for themselves. It sounds like that's what you're hearing as well. I think so, too. And I think I think I just you gave me an idea. And I think I would like to say to CEOs with with teams is to like make it a thing that your team has thinking time. You know, tell, tell me at your next board, next staff meeting, tell me the time that you set aside to be thinking about your overall process and how your organization is going and what we could do differently. Well, you know, we show leaders. me that in your calendar. Right. And we need to model that. Right. New CEOs, current CEOs. Because if you are burning the candle at both ends and your calendar is packed nonstop, of course, those that report to you are going to have an expectation that, well, I guess I need to show that I'm running just as hard. But in fact, everybody's burning themselves out, right? So if you model come in late on a Friday, I love that example, then maybe you would encourage others to do the same. Right. Uh, and, and not only just encourage, I would, I can see like not requiring it, but like, you know, prioritizing it. Yeah, well, you're right. I could see that like we have a staff meeting every Tuesday, but I also expect each of you to put your own kind of private time or quiet time on your calendar. It's funny, Karen, we have a mastermind program of very talented um, nonprofit leaders right now. We've had it kind of every season, if you will. And it's one of the number one things that I think reinforces your study. Most of them have said, yeah, I just don't put enough time on my calendar for myself. And it is so draining. And of course, it sounds like your research is absolutely confirming that needs to be done. Yeah. Well, I think you need it, what you get from that is only not only your brain refreshes, you begin to see things that you didn't see. One CEO had a conflict on his, his team. And what he realized stepping back from it is that what was his role? Right. And so he, he could then say, okay, what am I doing to contribute to this conflict? And how do I begin to act and say differently and, and go back to my conflicted leaders and say, what is it we want here? What are your goals? And figure out where there was overlap instead of just responding to the conflict. Well, it, it, it brings to mind another word you used earlier, the trust factor. And sadly, I think there's some nonprofit leaders who um, now that we've gone through this hybrid work environment, hey, I want everybody back in the office. I expect them here. But I wonder if you are creating a challenge. In other words, instead of saying, hey, I don't mind if you come in late because I realize you're going to utilize that time more effectively. But I wonder, Karen, are you seeing the same thing that those leaders that kind of are more demanding of their staff's presence all the time may, in fact, be eliminating that flexible time that they really need? I think that depends on what else comes with that. If, yep. if, if that's it, because in some cases, the leader really does need them there. I'm thinking meals on wheels type program. It's you're True. just not going to do that remotely very well. Got to be in the office for you that. Got to right? be in the office. But even in the office, there's ways to step back. There's certainly shut my door or sit outside in this right now it's beautiful today, but um, <laughs> right. there's certainly ways that people can achieve downtime inside the office. Well put. 
And again, as leaders, they need to model that, right? And demonstrate within the environment and the unique aspects of that organization, how can we make sure our team has that freedom? Uh, again, that's appropriate. Yeah, and I want to push on that too. I think if we're modeling that, maybe we need even, this is kind of like decision-making, think about what we're doing in that time. You right. know, I mean, right. and I think there's valid just to do nothing, um, you yeah. know, uh, but decompress. there are other ways. Were there other examples, Karen? Of Another that? example would yeah. be uh, I look through my calendar and I rated things from the one to three scale, meaning one was like, well, that's the most important meeting I did all week or three. I don't think I need to go to that again. Um, so time management analysis that could be uh, like, again, uh, my staff is struggling with meeting this deadline you know, is that the real problem? What's contributing? Just like listing that kind of analysis. Love that exercise. I had a mentor encourage me back when I was working in higher education. And sure enough, I found as much as 40 to 50% of my time were questionable meetings or questionable mm-hmm. activities or, or, well, not questionable, but certainly not highest value type uh, time commitment. And so you're saying that that recommendation was literally kind of a weekly exercise or just a one-time exercise, or how did they how did they do that one two three rating? Uh, that, that's kind of a weekly because it really only takes about five minutes. So I mean, I guess I'm thinking we want it to take an hour and a half to do schedule thinking time, <laughs> but the reality is it's right. about five minutes because you're waiting for your next appointment and you know you're caught for a few minutes. It's not a bad exercise to pick up and do. Right, and it then gets back to your earlier point too, right? I may find that, well, I really do have more time than I thought, especially if I prioritize the importance of my meeting schedule and therefore I could carve out more time for that high value thinking time. And in some ways too, you may decide if you're doing that one, two, three, that, you know what, that donor meeting, you really needed to put more time in it. Right. And so it's, it's counterintuitive. It may not save you time, but it may put time in the right place for you. Yeah, but that's a qualitative analysis, Karen. I like your point that if we're racing from that donor meeting, we don't spend enough time to think about what are the next steps, or we didn't spend enough time preparing for that donor meeting, uh, we may have created a new problem instead of building a relationship. Yeah. And and we may have to go back and have another meeting where we could have maybe closed the gift. <laughs> right. You know? uh, well, what a bummer. You, yeah. you and I can't resist a little fundraising talk, which is always part of nonprofit leadership, of course. But Anything else on that kind of scheduling timing issues that you came up with, or do you want to move into the next one? Let's move to the next one. Excellent. What is it? Um, this is not in the study that will come. I'll give you the, the link for later on, but it's word judo. And I've um, this is the concept that judo has maximum efficient use of energy for mutual welfare and benefit. How to explain what you want some to do in their best interest how to convince your board that micromanaging is really harming them, Yep. Um, you know, would be an example. Yep. You needing to be uh, some examples. There were several, like what surprised you about this position in the study and they weren't huge. It didn't mean the job was awful, but they were unpleasant surprises. One CEO found that not as much money had been raised in the capital campaign. Those were more likely promises than actually commitments. So back to fundraising talk, sorry, but you know, we didn't go there, Um, but that was an opportunity she had to go back to her fundraising committee and to her board and say, I know your intention, or I think your intention was to encourage us and be positive, but it did sort of break trust with me. And how do we move forward in a better relationship in the future? 
That's funny you mentioned that because I've heard that sadly as well. And I guess I understand the intent of a hiring committee. They when they get to the point of identifying you as their target, they they want you to arrive. They want you to be compelled to join. But I hear often it sounds like you did too that hey it wasn't exactly what they told me. Is that mm-hmm. what you're hearing that the new CEOs are like? I thought it was this way around the campaign, and then it wasn't exactly the case. The good news was I heard less of that than I expected. Okay. I think some of those stories are the standout painful ones, but there's, there is a there is some of that. That's like, there's not a lot of it. Um, Another person shared that she thought the board understood that their role was not only to give, but also to help gather more people into the community. And that was a surprise to the board that they didn't know they were supposed to do that. It was a surprise to the new CEO because she thought that they did understand that. So some of that you can't ever get to enough in the interview process. I was going to ask you, and because are there certain questions we need to be more intentional as a finalist for a position? I guess we can push a little harder on some of those topics, but your point is we never really can get into details until we're arriving. Yes, I, that, that you'll never, never see the whole thing. I did hear some people sharing that they heard, th- they saw things that were missing and didn't trust their instinct to ask more. Interesting. So that's that getting back for thinking time after you're doing the interview or the process. When were people kind of like on the fence? You know, um, when did they not answer my question? When did I not answer their questions for that matter too? So spending that time thinking about what, what what am my gut telling me? Because you're gathering so much more and then pursuing that. Such a good point. And I guess despite our excitement, maybe for the opportunity, especially again, if I'm a new CEO, this is what I want. It seems so good on the surface, but perhaps my gut is telling me that I should ask for maybe another conversation with the hiring committee. Is that among the things you would advise someone who, before they jump? I I think so. And I think, I think it's not so much that you wouldn't take the position, but you can do some of the early work early. Um, These are, they're, they're, they're still eager. So they may, they're going to still be careful in doing word judo with you, but you may be able to have a truthful conversation. I'm I'm still interested in the position, but I want to understand this so we can have common ground moving forward. Well, and it, it, it harkens back to your first point that given that there may be some uncertainty about certain topics or more to do, it, it gets back to what you said earlier that, hey, don't overpromise. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can assert yourself even more confidently that, hey, I need to get in, I need to listen, I need to learn so that, you know, if in case some of these things require more time, um, I can do that more effectively. And often the boards are disappointed, maybe ashamed that there are some of these common issues that as Pat and you and I are working with nonprofits are not uncommon. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, bo- boards are tough, tough, staff is tough, money is tough. And if they get revealed, then that trust level goes up and then we work from what's really there. So that's part of that really getting to know the organization. If you can do that in the interview process, you're that much ahead. Because you're right. Otherwise, they, they don't want to share the dirty laundry. And every organization has its challenges. And um, But your point's well made that we need to try to uncover as much as we can. So we come in with our eyes wide open and then accept that there's going to be some degree of uncertainty that we're going to have to manage as a new leader. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the best you can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a reality. And in fact, speaking of advice for those listening, pondering nonprofit leadership, you may not get the absolute 100% certainty of this next move being perfect because there are just some things you're not going to know until you get there. But Karen, as you listen to all of these new leaders, are are you more encouraged than maybe you were five years ago about the state of nonprofit leaders kind of retaining? Because you and I have talked before about the, the, the turnover issues. I wonder how did you come away from your research in terms of the state of nonprofit leadership turnover? Um, I was hopeful, but I thought the processes being used are, are good, that we're asking good questions and that um, both sides are returning to the table more than once to have these conversations yep. and that different levels of people are being vetted by the staff as well as the board and the volunteers. It's a time-consuming and onerous process if you have a current position, but it's probably well worth doing. And what I also was really thrilled with to me, if, if you are looking for a position, I heard an answer to, like, if someone said to me, Karen, should I take this position or not? What seemed to be the case in the happiest of matches is that the CEO came in ready to solve a challenge that the board was really upset about or concerned about, that they, the CEO came in with that skill already there. It was something that they were really strong on and they could do it not in their sleep, but they knew exactly what to do. So, so perhaps the marketing was just terrible and the CEO already knew that, knew that. They had looked at the website and they agreed, but their marketing expertise is amazing. And so for them, that was easy, but maybe the other pieces of the role were new. So the board was real happy to solve this key challenge that was really driving who they wanted to hire. And then the CEO had the place and space to work on the other pieces of skills of being the CEO that maybe they didn't have yet as they welcomed the position. I'm I'm fascinated by that. In other words, so the best matches you found were ones where the key challenge was clear and the, the person hired as the new CEO was clearly able to address that challenge? Did it boil down to that? Right, very well. Expert on the aspect of the job that's the highest concern to the board. Yeah, see, I love that. And again, I'm thinking if I'm a potential candidate, I would want to make sure I'm clear because there always will be a challenge, whether it's maintaining or moving or changing or whatever. So I need to identify the key challenge and then be clear and I guess self-aware to determine, hey, am I the one that can help address that challenge? Is that fair? Right. And, and that, 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 that challenge is something that I'm really strong on that yep. this is, you yep. know, that, that I, I want to have 9,000 balls in the air, but that ball I've got out of the court. I'm not sure I'm mixing the right metaphors, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm right with you. And, and to me, again, that's very helpful. And what I'm delighted that this episode is going to bring forth in those listening, because let's face it, Karen, you and I've talked about that. Our listeners are in leadership positions. And I think this certainly gives them things to ponder in their management and leadership style. But in particular, those listening that want to be a nonprofit leader, you know, is there anything else you would advise a potential nonprofit CEO to, to look for or think about as they go into a process like those that you talk to? I would look for them to say, how can I be my authentic self here? Is this group willing to have a real conversation with me about, you know, what, what scares you about what's ahead? You know, where are we strong? Where are we weak? So are we really talking about real stuff versus 
uh, the advertisements <laughs> that are yeah, out there. Exactly. I mean, yeah, the nonprofits are need because of, of their need to put, pull in volunteers and donors and funders. There's a lot of PR fancy stuff, you know, words that are used that are ambitious, but not always the, the nitty gritty. Yeah, it makes me think, again, if I'm a candidate, I don't want that first kind of surface level meeting. Let's say I've moved into the finals or I'm maybe even the one, but that just strikes me what you're saying is there, there's important conversations still to be had that perhaps um, organizations and candidates that weren't a good match, they didn't have that conversation they should have had. And it may be as simple as saying, you know, what have you done before and how has it worked to solve this challenge? Yep. And, and if that seems candid, um, that's helpful. Excellent. And this is fantastic, Karen. First of all, lots of things for a, a potential new nonprofit CEO to consider. Any other advice you'd offer that listener who wants to be a new nonprofit CEO as a result of your research that you might encourage them to think about? I think all the skills that we have talked about today and the other ones that are in the study are ones that anyone in a nonprofit would be smart to practice. Yep. And, and, and doing that on a small, you start with yourself, you start with how's my decision-making, you know, you start with looking at, am I scheduling thinking time? Am I, am I looking at a marathon or am I just trying to do a sprint here? Am yep. I, am I doing something longer than just getting through the day? All those elements are great things for all of us to practice as we lead. Well, yeah, indeed, valuable for current nonprofit leaders as well as new CEOs. So that's why I'm grateful for the advice on both of those levels, Karen. What, what's next for your research? Obviously, this has, I'm sure, your wheels turning in terms of application. How might you take this research and continue to build it to benefit nonprofit leadership? I'm curious right now about how our boards have handled the last two years. Yep. And, and what this is, what's really happening with boards right now. So it'll be the, how does the CEO and how do the board members perceive, has things changed? Um, Are they, are they healthier? Uh, All this online meeting, where does that leave us? What does it feel like? So that's, that's, it's not very defined yet, Patton, but that's what I'm thinking about for this summer. Well, make sure you keep us posted Uh, again. uh, We are fans of the work you're doing, Karen, here at the podcast and we'll happily share because again, there's such value in what you've already collected. And I'm sure the application is going to be even more valuable for our listeners who of course need to check out your book. I mentioned that earlier, let's raise nonprofit millions together. Um, And also you recommended last time a fascinating book. I got to lift it up again, Syllabus by Linda Berry. Um, But now that you've come back, you have an opportunity to share another book that's been meaningful to you. So, Karen, what is your latest book recommendation for our listeners? It is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And he is a former FBI top hostage negotiator. And you will find this book fascinating because you'll start off with opening in a story where your son has been kidnapped and what are you going to do? My goodness. Uh, So there's many uh, kidnapping scenario type things throughout the book, but it's full of ways that Chris advises us to have meaningful conversations with people and to help them get what 
you know, help us together negotiate something that works. One of my favorite potential examples, if your board says you should raise $10 million in the next six weeks, okay, (laughs) Uh. you would say back, according to Chris Voss, how am I going to do that? So you're moving it from like the board giving it to you to collectively, how do we do that? Good example of negotiation right there, huh? Yep. Yep. And love that. And so we don't necessarily want to ever have the drama of a kidnapping, but I'm guessing that his wisdom will help any nonprofit leader too, because it is all about decision-making, like you said earlier, and ultimately negotiation. And those are skills we need to work on. Yeah. And that's the word judo piece too. Like, yeah. What exactly am I going to say when the board or, or the staff member or whatever, someone says something to me, I know I have that feeling of like, I have no idea. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right. And, and that you know, thinking for a minute about it, but also having some practical tactics that Chris Voss offers. It's very helpful. Fantastic. Karen, thank you. Wonderful advice. Kudos to you for the research and the work you continue to do in the nonprofit sector. Where can people go to find out more about you and this great work with nonprofit leaders? Okay. The study address is kedconsult.com backslash new CEO. And I know you'll put that in the show notes, which is great. So that um, kedconsult.com is my website and that's the place to go. I have a CEO library that lists about 30 topics that there's a number of articles to get some solutions that you need right now. It's fantastic, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me again on the path. It's been a pleasure, Patton. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Karen as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas to guide you on your professional journey, especially if your journey is taking you to a CEO role. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, patentmcdowell.com. Go to the podcast page and you can go to this episode in particular to find out more about Karen, her consulting practice, and multiple resources that we discussed As always, I'd be grateful if you would share this episode. Go to the podcast page again. Go to this episode, and there are multiple ways you can forward this along to someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Also on the podcast page, just go to the top and find the follow button, and that will assure you don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And if you like this episode, you can click on the Episodes button At the top of the page, you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes, or you can search by topic or the guest's name. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path. 